Welcome back to A Journey Through Business with me, Jack Golden. This week, instead of telling you what I've been up to for the week, I thought I'd do my very first book review, hopefully the first of many. The reason I'm doing these book reviews is, well, one of the starting points, as you know, if you've watched any of my previous videos, you know I want to become a successful business person, I want to be a multi-millionaire. I thought one of the places to start in, in doing that, is I could start by reading about the people who have already achieved that um, and absorb any knowledge or whatever they've got to say about it. I think that's always the start. If you want to do something, you'll always go to whoever's done it before you and say, how, how did you do it? So I'm buying as many books as I'm buying and reading as many books as I can by business people, but various authors, have, I've got some up there. Um, I've got a Darren Brown one. I've got one by a um, Professor Steve Peters, who's a uh, sports psychologist. Basically anything that I feel will benefit me and make me a better biz business person. Um, I want to get these books, I want to read them and I want to absorb all the knowledge that they've got. So that's the main reason for doing these book reviews. If you're anything like me, sometimes I'll read a book, I'll put it down, and by the time I finish the book, I've pretty much forgotten about 50% of that book. If someone asked me a week later, after finishing it, you know, what was some of the content of that book, what was it about, I've probably forgotten about 90% of the book. Um, if any of you, if anyone watching this is similar to me in that respect, yeah, I hope, I hope I'm not the only one. But I forget what's in a book very quickly. Um, and so by doing these online video reviews of each book I read, I'm thinking I'm going to have to try and almost study them more. I'm going to read every single one twice, take some notes on it, and then talk about it like this. And hopefully that will make me absorb more of the information in the book. So I'm going to roll straight into my very first book review on this channel. The first book I've chosen to do is a book by a guy called Peter Thiel. It's a book called Zero to One. Perfect title for the very first book that I'm reviewing. It's basically a book about what um, new businesses need to look for, what needs to be their key priorities, key priorities, what problem are they going to solve. So Peter Thiel was part of the PayPal Mafia. And who were the PayPal Mafia? Well, they were uh, they became infamous among the Silicon Valley because after PayPal, PayPal was sold to eBay for $1.5 billion back in 2002. But after that, all the co-founders of PayPal went on to achieve unbelievable things. But they all in their own right then went on and created more companies. But the PayPal Mafia was a guy called Elon Musk. who Most people watching this will have heard of Elon Musk. He's one of the most... Um, unbelievable entrepreneurs of our of our time he's gone on to found a company called spacex because he wants the human race to populate mars and he's a co-founder of a company called tesla motors which is all those electric cars that he's, he's got obviously elon musk is an absolute um bad boy of uh, of the business world he's just absolutely smashing it him and jeff bezos uh both trying to put rockets up into space they both want to populate mars and they're like some sort of fucking james bond villains Jeff Bezos does strike me as a bit of a Doctor Evil as well. I'm not sure whether or not he's just wanting to get up Mars and put a big laser on there and hold the world to ransom. But anyway, you've got all these big heavyweight um, uh, business people um, and they all started off by founding PayPal and that's why they call it the PayPal Mafia. I'll read you the first paragraph, the preface to this book, Zero to One, because I think it sums up what this book is really about. So here, here's how it goes. Every moment in business happens only once. The next Bill Gates will not build an operating system. The next Larry Page or Sergey Brin won't make a search engine. And the next Mark Zuckerberg won't create a social network. If you are copying these guys, you aren't learning from them. 
Peter Thiel's first chapter is called The Challenge of the Future. What he believes is that if a business can be created that completely changes the way of doing things in society and is brand new and unique, that business has essentially gone from zero to one. If the business created is very similar to already existing ways of doing things and already existing businesses, it's just gone from zero to what he calls N, zero to N. And this chapter is basically talking about how the future is obviously definitely going to happen, but businesses need to think about how they can shape it. Um, what businesses can be created that completely change the current ways of doing things? And he poses the question at the start of the chapter, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? The next chapter after that is about the dot-com uh, bubble and how everyone was investing in the 1999 they were investing in tech companies, dot-com uh, internet companies and there's a bubble that crashed and what's prominent to me in this chapter is that during that time PayPal was just gradually quietly working away and they were developing their product and they were actually not getting caught up in all the um, hype of dot com of the dot com bubble, but they were actually just actually creating something substantial that would actually benefit society, and that's what they were focusing on. In chapter three, the chapter is called "All Happy Companies Are Different," and he starts this chapter. Actually, every the start paragraph of every one of his chapters is just brilliant. It really, really grabs your attention. So in this one, he said, "The business version of our contrary question is." What valuable company is no one building? Goes into his theory on monopolies. And he's saying that all businesses should be looking to create a business that is a monopoly. Because as he describes, capitalism or the system of capitalism means that if you're not a monopoly, any profits you're making are just going to be uh, destroyed by your competitors seeing those profits coming into the market and then um, competing with you. If you want, and then he also says, if you want to create and capture lasting value, don't build an undifferentiated commodity business. The example he bangs on about in this book, naturally, is Google. Google is an unbelievable monopoly. They may say, Google may say, oh no, we're getting competition from uh, Microsoft Internet Explorer and Yahoo, but they're not. They are just a beast. And the, his view on monopolies is not all bad. They don't necessarily have to be a bad thing because of the unbelievable profits that a monopoly makes. What Peter Thiel points out is that most of these monopoly businesses are the businesses which actually invest in research for the future. Because they've got so much money, they've got money to blow, they can blow it on looking into um, projects that can really, really boost technological advances. What's funny is this on a, on a personal level is how much he smashes restaurants in this book. I work at a restaurant myself, I work at my family restaurant, my parents' restaurant, and I know firsthand how fucking hard it is to turn a profit out of the restaurant. And he's saying exactly that here in this book. He's saying, you know, restaurants on the high street are the opposite of a monopoly. They are so un usually just so undifferentiated. There's so few barriers of entry. Anyone can start a restaurant. Everyone at any city where restaurants are making profits, they'll just have new restaurants come in and think we'll have a bit of that action until everyone's making fuck all. If you want to compete like crazy, um, then you should just open a restaurant in Chicago. Um... Chapter four is called Last Mover Advantage. And in this chapter, he's basically talking about what businesses need to do to make sure that their uh, business is successful going into the future and what they can do to really capitalize on the future. 
and he's highlighted four key characteristics of a monopoly that in his mind that if you can get these four characteristics of a monopoly then you're away number one he said about proprietary technology so be it the software or algorithm algorithms that businesses are using and he's used the example of google and its search engine uh, algorithms being so much faster and better than any of its competitors number two characteristic is the network effect and what he's saying here is he's talking about businesses where they've got a growing user base and as those businesses get more users they actually become a better product so you've got things like facebook the more people who are part of facebook the better facebook is um, you've got things like gumtree ebay um, linkedin even stuff like rightmove zoopla you know the more people that are using these apps um, the actual the, the better customer experience is um, there's an app i've got called Nextdoor, and it tells you what's going on about you in your local community now that app would be useless if no one used used it as it grows, it actually gets better. You can imagine if these businesses, once they've got hundreds of millions of users, then they're away and their competitors would struggle to reach that, um, that, that, not, uh, that high user base. So that's the network effect. I'd probably also add to that Apple, but Apple iPhones. The reason I say that is because the more people who are using an Apple iPhone, the more of a profitable market there is to make good, apps for the iPhone, then the more people come into that market and build these fantastic apps for the iPhone, iPhone the better the iPhone product is, so the more people are then going to buy iPhones and that sort of snowball effect is going to continue. Uh, number three he's talked about is um, economies of scale, obviously huge uh, businesses like Walmart can demand a fantastic pr price from their suppliers and they can really squeeze their suppliers. Um, and we've got examples in the UK, probably the UK supermarkets are known for this. Uh, and then number four characteristic of a successful monopoly is branding. And some businesses or companies do such a good job of branding that they actually differentiate themselves away from any competitors just by how good their branding is. He's used here the example of Apple. Um, I'll probably say other, well, any sort of national brand that you can think of, Aston Martin, Burberry, Nike, whatever. Something where the product in its actual bare form isn't that different from its competitors, but because of its branding, it's managed to uh, sort of move away and, and make good profits. He's also in this chapter talked about what the best way of starting monopoly is, and that is to actually conquer and create a monopoly of a very, very, very small target market, and then only after that, scale up. So conquer something that is very, very, very niche, completely dominate that, and then add products to your brand. And he's given the perfect example of this. People always forget that Amazon, currently today, founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is the richest man in the world. And people are saying it's going to be, Amazon, the business is going to be worth over a trillion dollars soon, uh, down to its uh, share price at the moment. Uh, 2018, we're making this. And people forget that Amazon was started off as just an online bookstore. And he just conquered online books. That's the first thing Jeff Bezos did. Then after that, he scaled it up and started adding more products. His end goal was always to become the king of retail and like the one-stop shop for selling everything in the world. But he thought, I'll start off and I'll monopolize one target market, one niche. The problem is, when you start a company, you're starting small. And so to dominate a market um, quickly, you should go after a small market and capture that whole market first. So I would say that Facebook, for example, had a very auspicious start. It started with 10,000 people at Harvard in a market that's so small that you know, any sort of business school analysis would say it's not even a business. Too small a market. But uh, you got from 0 to 60% market share in 10 days. 
that was a that was a good start. PayPal started by going after um, uh, eBay power sellers, which was again a relatively discreet small market in '99, 2000, maybe 20,000 people. Uh, we got to about 30% market share in two three months. Chapter 6 is titled, You Are Not a Lottery Ticket, and essentially here he's simply just saying that by starting a business, you're not just having a punt, and you're not going to get lucky or unlucky, and the success of a business that started is in the hands of the founder. That's what's going to determine whether or not the business does well or not. In chapter, in chapter 7, titled Follow the Money, he basically talks about how the biggest secret in venture capital is that the best investment in a successful fund equals or outperforms the entire rest of the fund combined. I don't really get this chapter, but I think all I'm taking from it is just that all you've got to do is, if you're a VC, if you strike lucky with one company, it will just uh, make up for all the others that you fucked up. Chapter number eight is titled Secrets, and this is my favorite chapter, and it links back to the first, uh, one of the first paragraphs of the book, and it's talking about what important truth and very few people agree with you on and he's basically saying here that you know if you agree with what if you are constantly agreeing with everyone you're accepting the world for what it is and what it's like right now and the only differences happen when you're looking where other people aren't looking and you're questioning the established way of doing things but then i think in between conventions and mysteries are what i call secrets things that are hard but possible to figure out and if you work at them you can figure them out and it is my thesis that there are many secrets left to be discovered that if we work at them, we can do them in, in many, many different areas. Um, now, there's... But quite interesting is he talks about why people aren't looking for secrets right now or why so many people are scared to put themselves out there and question the current way of doing things. And what he talks about here is if you are to found a completely brand new business which changes the way things are done, what you're essentially saying and what you're essentially doing is you're, you're putting yourself out there and you're saying everyone else is wrong and I'm right. I found a secret that I know to be true and everyone else is, is wrong. And he's saying that to make that leap of faith and actually get put yourself out there and do it takes a huge amount of balls because if you are in fact wrong and you haven't found a secret and you can't execute it properly, that is a very lonely place to be in because you put yourself out there while no one else has and you've actually just fallen on your ass and you, and you are wrong so that's probably goes some way to explaining why you know there aren't there isn't a um successful entrepreneur or a, a, a self-employed business owner living on every street he also mentioned something that's just so basic but people just often assume that if it was worth doing if their business idea was worth doing they're bound to be someone out there smarter than them who's already doing it I'm going to read a passage out, and this is, I, I would say this is probably my favourite paragraph in the book, and it gives everyone hope to say that there are still improvements to be made out there. There's still perfectly simple business ideas that are just waiting for someone to go and do them and make them a success. So it goes like this. It says, before Airbnb, travellers had little choice but to pay high prices for hotel rooms, and property owners couldn't easily and reliably rent out their unoccupied space. Airbnb saw an untapped supply and unaddressed demand where others saw nothing at all. The same is true of private car services, Lyft and Uber. Few people imagined that it was possible to build a billion dollar business by simply connecting people who want to go places with people willing to drive them there. So Uber, Airbnb, they've both got their own secrets which they found out through their research 
Airbnb will have, their secret will be that they knew that people didn't mind strangers living in their homes for a few nights and strangers didn't mind going to another stranger's house. And my favourite quote in this chapter is simply, the best place to look for secrets is where no one else is looking. And I heard this, I've heard this time and time again, look where other people aren't looking. I've heard it in a number of business books now, so there must be some truth in it. Chapter 9, titled Foundations, he basically gives his viewpoint on how a business should be structured. And he talks a lot about how you've got to have a good team around you. It can't just be a one-man band. You've got to have that same team turning up in that same location and spending pretty much every day together, working together to achieve something that they all agree is the way to go. He mentions how a CEO should not be paying themselves much money because that way they lead by example to the other staff in that they're trying to achieve something that's worth more than a big wage. And he says one of the disadvantages of the CEO paying themselves a massive wage is then they're just trying to justify that wage instead of actually working to really achieve something and build something fantastic. He also talks about if you can give shares of your company to the employees or the most valuable members of your team, then that's even better. And if they are open to receiving a share in the company rather than cash, they're showing their sort of long-term commitment to the future of the, the business. Chapter 10, he talks about his PayPal Mafia and how they ran their business. And he talks about how when he was managing um, PayPal, what, what he found was very effective for him was to give each employee one thing that he would hold them accountable for. He'd give them one thing, every employee's one thing was unique, everyone knew I would evaluate them on it, and he'd started doing this to just simplify the task of managing, but then he noticed that giving people a definite role actually reduced conflict as well. Chapter 11, straight after this, he talks about sales. And he talks about how sales is so underrated and it, that even the best product in the world still needs fantastic sales to, to make that product become a fantastic business, long-term business. And he's just still talking in this chapter about how sales is so undervalued and he's not sure why people have got this sort of stigma attached to being a salesman because it's an essential job of any successful business. He talks about grandmaster salesmen and he describes them as this. He says, if you don't know any grandmasters, it's not because you haven't encountered them, but rather because their art is hidden in place, plain sight. So if someone is really absolutely exceptional at sales, you won't actually see them as a salesman. You won't notice that you've actually just been sold to. Also, the customer is not the only person that needs to be sold on your business. You also need to sell your business to any investors or any staff that you have on board as well. Sales is all around us and it's constantly happening. In the last final few chapters of the book, he talk, Peter Till talks about um, whether there's a man versus machine debate or what the future of AI is or whether all, we're all going to be extinct um, or whether more likely what he thinks will happen, actually computers and technology will simply just complement human beings and there'll always be human beings using technology to make uh, our existence more pleasurable. And I'm going to read you out Peter Thiel's seven questions that he said every business should ask themselves. He says that whatever your industry, any great business plan must address every one of these questions. If you don't have a good answer to these questions, you'll run into lots of bad luck and your business will fail. So I'm going to whiz through them. Number one, the engineering question. Can you create breakthrough technology instead of incremental improvements? Question two, the timing question, is now the right time to start your particular business? 
Question three, the monopoly question. Are you starting with a big share of a small market? Question four, the people question. Do you have the right team? Question five, the distribution question. Do you have a way to not just create, but deliver your product? This goes back to what he was saying about sales. The durability question. Will your market position be defensible in 10 and 20 years into the future? The secret question. Have you identified a unique opportunity that others don't see? I really enjoyed reading this book. I think it's a very sort of thoughtful book and theory-based book. I thoroughly recommend it to anyone. I'm interested in business. I'd recommend it to anyone else who's interested in business. And I think the number one takeaway that I'll, I have from this book is when he talks about monopolies. And particularly when he's talking about if you want to build your own monopoly, start very, very small and monopolize a tiny, small niche market. So he said, in order to monopolize a large market, every startup should start with a very small market. And he, talks, he defines this target market as the perfect target market for a startup is a small group of particular people concentrated together and served by very few competitors. And after that, you can scale up. An entrepreneur can't benefit from macro scale insight unless his own play begins at the micro scale. So that's my main takeaway. I think that's my golden nugget from this book. And my very favourite quote from this book, as I've mentioned, was the best place to look for secrets is where no one else is looking. I think all happy companies are different because they came up, they figured out some way to radically differentiate themselves and escape from competition. All unhappy companies are alike because they fail to escape the essential sameness that is competition. Uh, the chapter in my book entitled All Happy Companies Are Different got excerpted by the Wall Street Journal and they retitled it um, a little bit more provocatively with the title uh, Competition is for Losers.